you're interested in life groups, it's one of the things that we do in our church is we just believe we're better in circles than we are in rows. It's great that we're in rows, but it's something about being in small circles. That was evident to me this week as I, uh, we've been walking the journey with uh, Pastor Nate and Pastor Christy. Christy's mom succumbed to her cancer on Thursday, a young age of 60. And uh, so our, our family, our, our, our team is hurting this morning at the loss of Christy's mom. What an incredible, incredible, incredible woman. We're going to celebrate her life this Saturday at 1 o'clock here in this uh, service. And so you're invited to a celebration of life as we celebrate uh, Kelly. What an impact she's made on so many. But one of the things I've seen in life groups is the Briners are part of a life group. And I got to see their life group uh, come in and out of their house and hear about them coming in and out of their house. Uh, there's times that we just go through things in life. We're going to go through ups and downs. And uh, we're not meant to do it alone. God made us for one another. He made us for relationships. He made us to uh, pick each other up when we're down. He, he made us to celebrate in our victories uh, when things are going great. I mean, I heard, of, uh, I heard the Kaywoods coming in. One of their kids had 21 points in a basketball game this week. I mean, we celebrate those things. Those are good things. When good things happen, we celebrate with one another. But it's impossible to know everybody's story. And so we believe in, in small groups and life groups. And so if you're interested, Pastor Nate's not here today. Pastor Christie's not here today, understandably, as they're uh, grieving and making preparations for uh, the, the funeral and the memorial service this uh, Saturday. But I know Pastor Nate would love to help you get connected. Fill out a connection card, and uh, it will, uh, we'll, we'll find you and help you find a group. Um, that There's a good fit. He's, he's like a matchmaker. He works on making matches. He helps you find into places. He doesn't just stick you with someone and go, good luck. I mean, he kind of he tries to get to know you, get to know your personalities, and he tries to even kind of get you to maybe make a connection with someone else before kind of saying, hey, you know, let's be in a life group together. And so stages of life, those things uh, are going to happen. Let me share some, man, let's start off some good news too as well today. Uh, Monday night, man, that was hard watching what happened. And even if you're not a football watcher uh, like I am to watch, it was actually like the Briners Monday night and the TV was on low and um, as we were there with Kelly and um, you couldn't hear anything, but Pastor Nate and I, all of a sudden, we just looked up and something looked different. And we, now we know what we all saw, um, but Damar Hamblin going down. But, you know, out of a real hard thing, some cool things have happened. Um, uh, one, praise the Lord. Um, I, you know, I don't know why God answers some prayers. He answers all prayers. He just doesn't answer it in the way that we want him to. We've been praying for Kelly's healing, this cancer she's battled for five years we believe God's answered that prayer, just not in the way that we wanted. She is whole. She is healthy. She is more real. She is more perfect. She is perfect today in the presence in the arms of Jesus. But it's not the way that we had prayed for it to be answered. But sometimes amazing things happen. Now, one of the cool things that came this week, I mean, who would have thought a sportscaster would pray on national TV and they wouldn't turn off the network. Who would think the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans last night that both teams would gather in the middle of the field and pray and the television wouldn't be turned off? So praise God. I believe God's going to have some more glory out of this. And we just, we thank, uh, thank God for a good news too that comes our way. And while we're on the subject of celebrities, uh, I, I don't know who the celebrity was. I don't know if, it was, if this is even true. But you may have heard about the celebrity that was doing a benefit for a senior adult home. And he was wanting to warm up the crowd a little bit. So he went in. He was meeting different people. And he went over to an elderly lady in this nursing home. And he said to her, ma'am, do you know who I am? 
And she said, no, but if you'll go to the front desk, they'll tell you who you are. <laughs> Today is about identity. Today is about, last week you talked about restoration, and we're in a series in, in the book of Ezra, an Old Testament book, and actually uh, Ezra and Nehemiah both were written by Ezra. The, in the early manuscripts, the two books were together, but we're just focusing in, on this book of Ezra for 10 weeks. Um, Ezra, uh, we talked about last week about the first step in restoration is repentance. The second step we're going to talk about today is reclaiming our identity. For once, when you know your purpose and your identity, who God made you to be, it changes everything. So the road to restoration today is about knowing and reclaiming your identity. And if you missed last week, this is your first time here or you came back from family vacation and it's your sec- this is just your first Sunday, just a quick recap from last week of Ezra. Um, Ezra was the prophet of the day. He was the spiritual leader of Israel. He was the one, along with Nehemiah, kind of the uh, uh, political business influencer. They would go back and they would lead a charge to go back to Israel, to go back to Jerusalem. And they were going to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see, for 490 years, The people of God had been faithless. Israel had been faithless. They'd turned their back on God. They'd walked away from God. They they didn't mind, they didn't, they didn't give pay attention to God. For 70, the last 70 years of that, they were brought into captivity. Babylon captured Israel, brought some of them into captivity, took them into uh, Babylon, which is today modern-day Iraq. Uh, where we're picking up the story in Ezra, Persia, which is today is modern-day Iran, um, overtook Babylon, and to the winner of the war goes the spoils. And so now that they were, they went from Babylon's captives to Persia's captives, and we find ourselves in the first chapter of Ezra, it was the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. We talked about that last week. And Ezra, uh, now they have a favorable, even though King uh, Cyrus is not an Israelite or a Jew. God moved in his heart to have favor on the Jews, and they were going to go back, and God was going to restore them. And here you might be saying, why is this Old Testament book 2,500 years old? Uh, why, what does it have to do with me? What's the significance for me? Why is it important? Well, if you need something in your life restored, uh, you know, there's things that are broken. There's things that are hurting. If, if, you're, if your faith is failing, if your hope is hem- hemorrhaging, if, if your joy has been jackknifed, Ezra is for you. If, you're, if your marriage needs restored, or your life needs restored, or you're, 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 you're feeling so broken from an unbelievable loss, and you need restoration, you need God to do something new, Ezra is for you. It's not just a story written 2,500 years ago, but it's a story written not, not to us, but for us. And in Ezra, we see God's heart to restore God's people and to restore their identity. You see why they were faithless for 490 years, why they weren't thinking about God, why they didn't give a rip about God, God gave a rip about them. And God never stopped loving them, never stopped thinking about them, never stopped 
being faithful to his promise. Although they had broken their promise to God, God doesn't break his promise to us. And that's the good news for us. We may be faithless. We may have turned, and we all have turned our backs on God at one time or another. But God never turns his back on us. He's always pursuing us. He always is working towards a plan to restore us and to do something new. And everyone wants new. Everyone wants restored. Everyone wants a second chance. My beloved Denver Broncos, they want to be restored. They are, they are so much want a second chance. They, are, they want to find their identity. They don't know who they are, and they don't have a coach. And they, they don't have a coach that probably wants to lead them, for that matter. And, and they don't have a plan. But here's the good news. God not only has a heart and desire, and, and, but a plan to restore us, a plan to return us, a plan to help us discover our true identity. Last week, God's plan to restore began with the rebuilding of God's temple or the presence of God in our lives and our hearts, Uh, to take up residency. Long before the people would rebuild the walls of the city, God first had them rebuild the temple. And we talked about what that means for us. In the New Testament, uh, our body is described as the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they had prophets that spoke to them. But when Jesus resurrected, he said, I will send you a comforter. I will send you someone to comfort you. I will send you a guide. There's different names for the Holy Spirit. But a guide, a comforter, someone to lead you. And our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Before God can do a great work in you or, or through you or for you, we talked about this last week, he must first do a great work in you. God wants to do a great work through you. He wants to do a great work for you, but he must first do a great work in you. Before God can restore your marriage, he first has to do a great work in you. And he has to do a great work in your partner. And and honestly, if you're here today and you're in that place, your marriage needs restoration, my encouragement for you is don't focus on God's restoration in your partner. Focus on God's restoration in you. Focus on what God wants to do. You may say, my partner, he's, she or uh, my wife has, she's 90% of the problem, I'm just 10%. Who cares? You can't do anything about that 90%. Focus on the 10%. Focus on the part that you play in this. Focus on God doing a restoring work in you. Before you seek God's help, maybe you're seeking God's help to restore your finances. Are you trusting him first? Are, are you giving to him first? Are you trusting that he is worthy of your trust. Before God can rebuild your life from addiction, you must first surrender uh, yourself to him. Uh, That's where any 12-step program, you'll see that they get the first step. They, They, I mean, it's so true that we're powerless, that we need help, that we need to surrender to a higher power. As believers, as Christ followers, we know what that higher power is. We know it's Jesus. We know it's Christ. We know that he is that higher power, and we must surrender to him for his help. Before God can do a great work through you or for you, he must first do a great work in you. So today we start in chapter 2. And the road to restoration continues today with knowing and reclaiming your identity. And in chapter 2, if you want to join me, either in your smartphone devices, in your Bible app, or you want to follow me online here in your old-fashioned Bible like this, if you want to follow along chapter 2, you're going to see right off the bat, is he going to read all those names? Are we going to read all that? No. You know your pastor struggles with pronunciations and especially names that are foreign to him. We're not going to read through, and you're not, I'm not going to be humiliated in front of all of you reading through chapter 2 names. But you might sit there and think, why are they there? What's the purpose? There's a boatload of names here. What's the purpose? There is a purpose. God has a purpose in everything. And what's in a name? A name is important. 
A name identifies us. A name helps set us apart. By the way, I'm Kent. My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. Nice to meet you. I'd love to get to know you. A, a name means something. I, I've thought about, you know, in, in Old Testament times, every, every name had a meaning. Um, I've been trying to figure out the meaning of my name for a long time. I, I, I haven't found it. At one time, I felt like I came across something that said royalty. I really like that. But, but for most of my life, I just saw my name on a package of cigarettes. And I thought, is that the best my mom and dad could do? You know, hey, that looks good. Kent. And then my sister, she's five years older, and her name's Sherry. Nazarene pastor, Sherry Wine, Kent Cigarettes. And I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. But whatever the case, a name is important. It sets us apart, identifies us. You, some of you know this, and you know, this is bragging. Um, uh, Heather's brother got to know Bill Self this last year. They're not BFFs. They're not besties. Uh, but uh, he was at a KU game, a football game, a couple months ago. And he ran into Bill Self. And Bill came up to, uh, or he didn't come up to him. I'm sure Ron, I mean, her brother went up to him and said, uh, you know, was talking to him. And he said, hey. How's your sister Heather and her husband? <laughs> Didn't know my name. <laughs> Couldn't say my name, but he knew her name. And, and it makes you feel so good when someone knows your name. I think of Blair Spindle, someone that I played football with in college, and he's the chaplain at Southern Nazarene University, great, great guy. Roberto, we played, well, you're younger than me, so you didn't play with Blair. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and that tells you Roberto's younger than I am. So anyway, Blair, uh, he, he spoke at our teen camp a few years ago. My daughters were at this camp, and there was like 300 students, 300 high school students, and on the first night, he said to them, at the end of the week, if I don't know your name, I will pay you a dollar. At the end of the week, all the kids wanted to stand up and were like popcorn saying, what's my name? And he was boop, 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 said everyone's name. There was only one kid's name that he wasn't able to say and had to pay a dollar, which comes nowhere near the counseling price that that kid's needs for being the only forgotten one <laughs> of the 300. I, I admire that gift. I'm terrible with names. I have to write things down. And I'm, I work on names. I've told a few people today, I said, I'm terrible with names. I'm good with faces, but I'm terrible with names. But I'm, I'm working on it. I want to be good with names. I'd love for that gift. Uh, Bill Self has that gift. He knows so, he just remembers names. Why is, why is that important? Because a name shows value. A name shows honor. A name shows significance. It says that they matter or that we matter. And in chapter 2, there's a long list of names that are documented and recorded. Why? Because God was remembering those who honored him. God honored the names of those who honored him. Remember, from, if you weren't here last week, there was two million Jews at the time. They were all invited to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. They were all invited but only 1 in 40 accepted the invitation. Only 50,000 accepted the initial invitation. And you know what? It mattered to God. And God honored. Now, there's not 50,000 names, but that's the head of every tribe. That's the head of the families. God honored the names of those who honored him. May not seem like much to us, but it mattered. Can you imagine being the, the grandkids and the great-grandkids that goes, yeah, that was my... Grandpa, that was my grandpa. I mean, that's that my grandpa. He's the one. He was faithful. He went back, and God honored him for his 
faithfulness. Maybe you thought about your name and where it's come from or who you're famously related to. Maybe different ones, I don't know, maybe you're related to someone really famous. The best we could do, I knew this getting into married. I didn't marry Heather for this purpose, but she was married to an ex-president, a former president. Martin Van, Van Buren, eighth president of the United States. Are you impressed or what? Don't be. Because <laughs> if you Google his name, it doesn't take long. You'll see it says failed presidency. <laughs> he led a, a, a great financial collapse. It was called the Panic of 1837. That is in his Wikipedia. I mean, you could, you could look it up. So uh, you might be thinking, well, Kent's, Kent's gets better. Well, mine is Al Jennings. You may not have heard of Al Jennings, but he was kind of like a Jesse James. He was uh, in the late 1800s. He was a train and bank robber. The thing is, unlike Jesse James, he wasn't any good at it. <laughs> I was talking with my 88-year-old aunt, who's the closest in the history to knowing my great-grandma's uncle, and, and she, she said, yeah, he goes, it's kind of laughable. In fact, you'll, you could read up. She goes, I encourage you to read up on him. You'll find this. You'll find that he was robbing a train, and he was going to blow up a safe, and he, he failed at that. He blew himself off the train. <laughs> Didn't even open up the safe. He, he blew that off. And then then he had a less than stellar, silent movie acting career, and that seemed to fail, and so he moved on. The last thing he ended his life is, was as a preacher. So if all else fails, become a preacher, okay? It, it was a hall of, that was my family, there's a hall of shame. But Ezra chapter 2, this isn't a hall of shame. This is a hall of fame for a generation of those who honored God. And what's that have to do with us today? Why well, just ask a question, in, in our generation, will our names be on a list of those who honored God? When your kids and your grandkids one day look at you, will they look at you and say, yep, Papa, Mimi, they honored God. They're, they're on the list. Let me tell you about another list being assembled. Everyone's invited, just like the, the, the Jews, the children of Israel, just like that they were invited and only 50,000 or 140. The same thing applies here. Everyone's invited, but not everyone's going to be on this list. But everyone's invited to. God wants everybody on this list. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's for those who will be in the New Jerusalem. A, 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 a city of God that we don't have to go back and rebuild. It's being built. It will be finished. It will be completed. It will be for those who have received him and accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord. It's, it's described in Revelation chapter 21, 22 through 27. It says, I did, not see, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no more night there. Can't help but think of Kelly this morning. Can't help but think there's no more night. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sadness. There's no more sickness. There's no more pain. For the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't move to the next slide yet. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But what about this part? Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Well, I don't know about you, but I fall into that list. <laughs> There's things that I'm ashamed of. 
There's been deceit in my life. There's things that I wouldn't want anyone else to know, that I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. I'm embarrassed by some of the things in my past. So what does this, this mean that those who are shameful or deceitful aren't going to enter in? Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The reason that we're written in the Lamb's book of life is not because of our goodness or our good deeds or anything that we've done. It's because what Christ did, what Christ has done, his finished work on the cross, that he took our place, he took our punishment, he took our shame, he took our, he took our, our deceit, he took everything, he took our sin upon himself, and he paid the price for us so that we could be received into his heaven. There's nothing more important in life, though, than to find yourself on the list with your identity in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Revelations 20.15 warns us that it's important that we receive Christ. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I'm thankful that God's grace runs so deep. I'm thankful that on the cross there were two murderous thieves that stood on each side of him. One rejected him. One said, Lord, when you go into paradise, remember me. I'm thankful that my grandpa, who was at the end of his life, gave the very last week, gave his life to Jesus. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Christ has done for us. Ezra 2 is a reminder to us not to get too comfortable in this world. Ezra 2.2, 2, the only list of names that I'm going to read so I don't get in trouble. Because it's hard enough just saying these few names. But there's an important name in here. In the company with Zerubriel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Rekliah, Mordecai, Bishon, Mispar, Bigva, Rehum, and Bana. Banana nana. Banana nana nana. That's actually kind of a fun name. You might want to think about giving it to your grandkid or something or kid someday. But but the name I want to highlight to you is Zerebriel. Zerebriel and Jeshua, they were the leaders that led this first wave of, of Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild and to rebuild the temple. They were the leading charge of this effort. And Zerebriel in the Old Testament, I told you, Kent and Sherry, I mean, didn't have really a meaning of, of name. But in Old Testament, names meant something. And Zerubbabel, the name Zerubbabel means stranger in Babylon. His parents gave him a name of significance to remind him, we may be living in captivity, but you're not a captive. You are meant to be free. You are meant to, to live free. And you may be in you may, be, you may be in captivity and you may be in Babylon now, but you are not a Babylonian. You're a child of God. You're, you're, you're a child of Israel. You're, you may be born captive, but this is not your home. And it reminds me in Hebrews of the list of heroes in the Old Testament describing the New Testament. And, and this is what's described in Hebrews of, of whether this is our home or not. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. God's prayers aren't always answered on this side of earth. Sometimes it's answered on the other side, and someday it's going to make sense. There's things in this life that just, can we be honest? It doesn't make sense. And we're fools to try to make sense of it for people. We just need to say, you know what? God's God. I'm not. I don't have the answers. But these people by faith, when they died, they did not receive the thing promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for, for them. Strangers and foreigners. We're just passing through, friends. 
Some of the Israelite priests lost sight of this, and it cost them. Skipping down to verse 61, past all those names, just a few more names. And, and from among the priests, the descendants of Hobiah, Hakaz, and Brazilia. It's easier to say Godzilla because I grew up with that. A man who had married a daughter of Barzilla, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find themselves, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. Okay, so the first wave is going back. It's exciting. The, the, the King Cyrus is having favor on them and saying, hey, you guys go rebuild Jerusalem. You guys go rebuild your temple. And so there's a group that's excited, and they're, they're going to go back. And so it, one in 40, 50,000. But even amongst those, there was a few that when they were brought into captivity, they denied God's authority. They settled for less than God's best. They settled for the life of uh, and identifying with their captives, and they lived the life of their captors. And it was easier for them to identify and marry uh, the captives and, and some of their, their daughters. And it's, this is not a interracial, that's okay. God's all, he's fine, he's for that. This is not a, can't, not a nationality thing. God's not against that. What, what God is saying here is, you've chosen the world over me. In the New Testament, it talks about not being unequally yoked. That it matters because we're going to have influence on one another. And one or the other is going to influence the other. And you're going to either influence the person closer to God or you're going to be influenced to, to go from God. I used to think when I was growing up, I could marry any girl and I could change her. That was my thought. As long as she is pretty and cute, it was good for me. That's, that was my two criteria. I was dumb and young. Thankfully, God got a hold of my heart. I, I think of Reagan here recently. Someone was trying to set her up with uh, someone, and I'm glad she's not here because I'd be in so, so much trouble. She's going to another church today. She's not watching this. She didn't watch me much anymore. I'm not offended. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. See what she's missing out on? <laughs> they were trying to set her up with someone, and uh, it was a pretty good guy, and they were like, he's sort of Christian. He's kind of Christian. And she's like, I don't want that. I don't want kind of. I, I, because God has designed for us to be equally yoked. Now, my grandma, she married, they both weren't Christians when they got married. She became a Christian at the age of 27. My grandpa was a great farmer. He was a hardworking man. But my grandma paid for him for 50 years. And he eventually came to Christ. It's not saying walk out because that person doesn't, isn't on the same page with you. No, if they're willing to live with you, God calls us. To, to, to stay committed to them, barring abuse or those things. Ezra was a reminder not to get too comfortable in this world. The priests had gotten allegiances with other things, and now it was kind of convenient to, to, to go back, and their names couldn't be found because they polluted themselves. Now, they still went back, and there was a plan for them to be restored, but they were removed from the priesthood. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with his holy angels. We're not called to be perfect. None of us are. We are called to follow Jesus and to unashamedly receive him as our Savior. If you want to live among the restored, if you want to live among the righteous, 
then don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. This world has the temporary pleasures to offer, but God has so much better for us. Christians, we need to look different than the world. We're not, not better, not holier than thou, but we need to be something different that people, they want to, you know, most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the church. Because many times the church doesn't look like Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors, they were attracted to Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. There was something about him that they wanted. They knew that they had a, a love and a peace and a joy when they were with him. And for us to have that, as we talked about last week, restoration begins with repentance, changing a mind, going a different direction, following him. Restoration begins with reclaiming your identity in Christ. That's what we're talking about today. But I don't want to leave you short of this that's found here too as well in, in the last part of this chapter. Restoration comes with a cost. Verse 68, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward rebuilding the house of God on its site. And according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 of gold, 5,000 minus of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Are we talking about taking up an offering today? To, no, we're not, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, there is a cost, and we need to know what that cost is. And the cost is Jesus shed blood for us, Jesus' death on the cross for us, he paid a, a, a deep and heavy price. He gave his very life for us. And, and, and in return, we can't live a perfect life. We can't do anything perfect. We fall short. But what God does want from us is he wants us to give our lives back to him. He died for us so we could live for him, so we could surrender our lives to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, Flee sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When we come to Christ, when we receive his forgiveness, we're to surrender everything to him. Our marriage, our family, our future, our past, our present. Our sexuality, everything. And if we're not a follower of Jesus, we're, we're not signing up for this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I heard uh, Francis Chan this week, I saw something he said. He said, when I read the scriptures, and if there's something I disagree in it, I have to assume that I'm the one that's wrong. We can't change God. God is God, and I don't understand. I don't pretend to understand all who God is. He's amazing. He's mysterious. If we have a God we can figure out, what God is that? He's so amazingly awesome that we can't figure out. Christ purchased our salvation with his very life. Your salvation was not free. You didn't come cheap. He saw value in you. You matter to him. He wants your name written in the Lamb's book of life. He paid the price for you. He died with his blood. He shed his blood for you. Therefore, you owe him your all, your life. It doesn't belong to us anymore. We've given it to him. It's time to give the rightful ownership of our lives back to God. The message of Ezra is return to God. 
The message of Nehemiah is return to God. Of Zechariah, of Malachi, of the old, other Old Testament prophets. The message of Scripture is return to God. And here's the promise that we hear in the New Testament. If you'll re, in the Old Testament, excuse me, if you'll return to me, I'll, I'll, and if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. God's just waiting for us to draw. He's not like he's waiting us for us to make the first move. He made the first move. He died on the cross. He came to us. He made the first move. When it says that if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us, God is waiting. He's waiting for us to draw near him. He wants nothing more. Like a child that we want to return home, he wants nothing more than for us to return home and make us a part of his family. Do you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer on the second Sunday of January? Just for a few moments, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as you reflect upon the message today. How does, how does God want you to respond today? You know, one in 40 received that invitation. 50,000 of 2 million received the invitation, that initial invitation to return to God. Where are you this morning? I don't know. There's so many different things in this room, but I know there's things always in my life that it's tough to surrender. It's tough to trust God with. But God invites us to trust him. Don't you think we can trust the one who died for us? Don't you think someone that loves you that much is worthy of our trust? He loves you. God loves you. He gave his only son for you. What do you need to surrender to him today? Just in a moment, in your own words, just in your head, just God knows what it is anyway. Would you, just, would you give whatever it is to God right now? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a relationship, a marriage. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your future. Do you trust him this morning with it? Just say, God, I don't have the answers. I don't know this, but I'm, I need you. Lord, would you help my friends, Lord, that are surrendering and trusting you right now with some things in their life? Would you let them know how much you're for them and how much you love them and how much you're going to help restore them out of their brokenness and pain and hurt? You're the God of restoration. You know our pains. You know our hurts. You fill them with us. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed this morning, this what a better way to start your, your year off on the second Sunday of January than to give your life to Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of your life, to trust the one who died for you, that he has a good plan for you, that he wants, to, he wants you to be a part of his family, and he's got a future for you. But it's for you to trust him with. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out. I'm just simply going to pray for you. But there's something about when we make a move towards God by faith, when we do something, when we move towards him, we're church of next steps. No one's looking around, eyes are closed. But if that's you this morning, you just want to give your life to the Lord. You want to give your life to Christ today. Or you want to return to him. I'm just going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We had about 15, 16 in the first service, but this is a different service. Today could be the best day of your life. 
receiving him. If that's you on the count of three, would you raise your hand? I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna embarrass you. One, two, three. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down, thank you. If you'll open your eyes with me today, we're gonna do this in, the, in this year. We're gonna, we're gonna pray as a prayer of affirmation for us who have professed Christ, but we're also gonna pray this for those who have taken this next step, this step of faith today, so they don't pray this alone. This is just an affirmation of our faith, but it's also for some of you, your first time to do this. So I'm just gonna ask you to repeat a simple prayer after me and let God move in your heart in this way. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Can we celebrate those that took that step of faith today? let you know that you're just in a you're just in a room full of a bunch of imperfect people that don't have it all figured out that are endeavoring to follow Jesus that's our mission is we're just wanting to take steps toward Jesus if you took that step today not only is there a gift if you're new but if you've made that step we have a new believers bible we'd love to give you on the way out on our welcome table has a 30-day devotional plan that helps you uh, and it helps you know where to start reading because sometimes you start reading you know I don't know where to start where do I go you just start from page one in this New Believer's Bible, and it's a good way to begin your year off. Pastor Dustin has a few more things for you, but I can't wait to see you next week. What a great second Sunday we're having.